And we're back. Hi, everyone. Did you miss us? We uh, definitely missed you. It's been a couple months since you've uh, seen a new episode of Arts for the Health of It. And in true transparency in the nonprofit world, there just wasn't a budget for, for the podcast. So we had to take a little break, um, which also leads me to, hey, if you missed it and you want to support the podcast, go to this link right here. Right, It's probably right here. And uh, support Hearts Need Art and all the things we're doing including this podcast so we can continue to uh, share some great uh, stories with you and conversations. And a couple of weeks ago, I got a, I got an email from Dr. Tasha Golden, who was a past guest of ours and asked if we would talk to her about her new field guide. And it's called arts on prescription, a field guide for us uh, communities. And it's all about how health systems can prescribe things in nature, in the art world for their patients and what that does to the health system, to our health and uh, to people. And it's a great guide that anybody can have access to starting today. The link's in the notes, the link's down there. I don't know, maybe I'll put a QR code right here. Go, go see this guide and if you know someone who can benefit from this guide if you know a medical professional send it to them it's a free guide access uh is open to anybody and it's a great conversation that we have just about the the work she has put in to getting this to a state that anybody can have access to it and learn from it and start using it in the united states as a way to uh bridge that gap for, for their patients. And um, I'm really excited to have her here. And so we should bring her out. Let's start the show. Come along with me and I know you'll see that a song changes everything. Tasha, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to see you again. You can, you can thank Tasha for bringing, single-handedly bringing back the podcast because she reached out <laughs> and uh, said, hey, I have something really cool that I think we should talk about. And I was like, you know what? This is the perfect opportunity to bring back the podcast because this is a huge, huge moment in, in arts and health history that you're a part of. So tell everybody, and Tasha's been on the show before. So if you want to know more about her past uh, go watch that episode and I'll link it down below so you can you can hear more about mm -hmm. her. But tell everybody why what what's being released today. Cool. Well, yes, we have been working on this for a really long time. So excited. Thank you so much for letting me come on and share about it. But um, this is a field guide to arts on prescription. So this model of care, this idea that physicians and mental health therapists and social care providers can literally refer people, prescribe people to arts and culture in their community. That is real. It's been going on for, um, for years at this point. It's an emerging model of care in the U.S. And as we've been researching it and evidence is accumulating not only about arts benefits for health, but how this model of care could work. We are seeing more and more people be like, okay, cool, but how do I do that in my but community? Yeah. So we created this field guide for that. So it's called Arts on Prescription, a field guide for U.S. communities. And I have been honored to lead the development of this with some amazing partners, including the University of Florida Center for Arts and Medicine and Mass Cultural Council in Massachusetts, which, um, has launched, which launched the very first statewide model of arts and prescription in Massachusetts called Cultural Rx. When did you decide, like, I have to 
get something out there. This needs to be something that's more prevalent in the United States. Like, how long have you been working on this? Well, I will give full credit to Cadis way back at Mass Cultural Council and the whole Mass Cultural Council team for having you know this vision for the guide in particular, because what we saw when we were working with CultureRx in Massachusetts was that there were a lot of, um, there was so much interest in doing this and so much openness to trying it. But then, like I said, there's those practical barriers to the actual hows and whats. And we kept wanting to have a, an immediate resource for um, people directly in Massachusetts. But then Mass Cultural Council came to me like, let's create an entire guide that other communities can use that will help not only our program in Massachusetts, but help other communities to learn from what we've been through and what we've learned. So we started working on this uh, around this time last year and completed it in June of this year and have been kind of um, anticipating its availability to the public <laughs> up until now. I love it. So can you talk a little bit about like what it what it actually is? So like I go into a doctor and and they say, take this medicine, but also go to a painting class or like how does that like mm -hmm. in, in, in a dream world? Like what does that look like when, to a patient? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's going to be, it's going to look different in various communities because obviously every community has different local like arts and culture and nature assets that they can point people to. So the first thing maybe to say is that we are not with arts and prescription suggesting that, you know, experiences with the arts or culture or nature should replace something that a physician or a mental health therapist might typically recommend to their patient or their client. At some point, in some cases, that might totally be true, but that's not what we're directly advocating for. That's going to be up to the provider. But what we are looking at is how do we add to their toolkits? And a big part of this is recognizing um, the actual definition of health. So I'm going to zoom out just a second and then get back to your direct question. But um, the usually in the United States, we when people talk about health, we think of like, you know, going to the doctor, we think of hospitals, we think of health insurance. But the World Health Organization, you know, over 75 years ago, defined health as um, complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. And that's so important because they didn't phrase it this way, but what I hear in that is that it's both the absence of disease or infirmity, things, you know, preventable disease and illness, early death, things like that, that we can try to prevent and react to. And it's the presence of complete well-being. And that's a pretty high bar, like that word complete. <laughs> um, complete physical, mental, and social well-being. And the reality is that most providers don't have a way to address that presence issue. They can do a lot about the absence thing. But, you know, what would it mean as a provider to help somebody have complete physical, mental and social well-being? Uh, we can do some things about that with medication, with therapy and things like that. But as far as, you know, what would you do in order to help your patient have more meaning and purpose in your life? Or if they are lonely or isolated, what all can you do to help them make more social connections? And so what we're seeing is that arts and prescription adds this whole toolkit for providers to be able to not only address maybe symptoms that they're seeing, which it can totally do that, helping easing stress, helping with pain management, lots of things that um, experiences with arts can do on the um, absence side, the absence of disease and infirmity, the absence of suffering, but also this presence of social, mental, physical well-being that they haven't had tools to address yet. So 
Yes, if you go into your uh, physician or your therapist or uh, even a social worker and they have access to an arts and prescription model, they might hear you saying things like, um, well, I'll give you an example from CultureRx in Massachusetts. We saw, uh, we heard from physicians who maybe were talking with a parent who was having difficulty connecting with their teenager. Like the teenager is always on a screen or they just never talk anymore. And like, what am I supposed to do? And you might imagine that a lot of times providers a pediatrician might have some recommendations for that parent, but what are they actually going to do about it? You know, they can give lots of recommendations, but they can't actually effect change. But with Culture RX, we heard from physicians who were like, who heard that from a parent and they were like, okay, well, here, I can give you a pass to a, um, a statewide park system or to a museum, and you all can go and have this kind of novel experience together, whether the phone's there or not, but you're having this new experience that you can then talk to each other about either like while you're there or afterwards and kind of debrief about it. Basically an ability to give people something to experience together and talk about. So that was new for them, a new opportunity that the patient was excited to get and the pediatrician was so glad that they could offer. And another version of that we heard from mental health therapists who were using these prescriptions as a way to um, help some of their clients get out of the house when they had some anxiety around that. Also, you know, one of the museums not only offered free tickets for people who got a prescription, but also like a, a coupon for a coffee or two coffees. And so that became a way for people who were socially disconnected. The therapist could say, look, here's some tickets. Here's a coupon for coffee. Invite a friend, go to the museum together, look around then go get a coffee and talk to each other and then come back and let's you and I talk about what happened in that exchange. And you can see how this just blows up, like completely expands and enhances what a provider would typically be able to do with a patient or client because there's just so much more on the table now. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Like, how then is it, how are we, or is the goal to track then? Like, you know, like, okay, go get a coffee, but like, make sure you do it. Like, how are we making sure (laughs) that people are going to parks and doing these activities? Yeah, it's a, it's, that was one of the big barriers that we ran into with Culture RX is just not really, I, I guess maybe barrier is the wrong word. It's more like just trial and error. You're doing something new. How do you track these things? To what extent do you want to? To what extent is that the goal? Like, what is the, how are we measuring success here? How do we know if we've achieved what we're setting out to do? These are all questions that have to come up anytime that you try something that's completely new and never been done before. But one of the things that we did find was that providers did want to know if their patients had gone and done the thing that they recommended. They wanted to know what kind of um, experiences they had. Did they enjoy it? You know, sometimes it was as simple as that. They're like, I'm not necessarily even trying to see if they had like reduced symptoms of whatever. I just did they enjoy it? Are they glad that they went? Because that tells us something about enhanced like quality of life and even just um, impressions of their experience with healthcare, right? Like that quality of care that you're getting can go up. Mm. Um, so, but the but the uh, kind of adventure of figuring out how are we going to track this and some privacy concerns around, you know, how do you even, um, even backing up from tracking it, like how do you make sure that those people get access to that experience that they're trying to get to without, you know, revealing patient information to the museum, for example, or to a zoo. Um, so we've had to set up these systems 
And part of what the field guide does is kind of, kind of like give a lot of examples and a lot of options for people as far as like, here are some ways that different models of care around the country, not just Cultural Rx in Massachusetts, but other models, here are some ways that they are making their referrals, setting up kind of like the infrastructure to do that. And then here are some ways that it's being tracked, or here are some ways that you could choose to track that. And here are some ways that you can evaluate your program once you set it up and see if you are kind of meeting those, um, meeting those goals that you've set for yourself. And who's the field guide made for? Is it made for medical professionals? Is it made for general public to kind of also ingest and say, oh, maybe I can do some of these things on my own? Or who who's it made oh, yeah. for? It was super important for us to make this available, like, accessible to the general public. So we did have a couple kind of target audiences in mind because those um, the people who we had in mind were the people who kept coming to us and being like, please help us figure out how to do this. <laughs> and those people included arts organizations, cultural organizations, kind of like nature organizations that are in various communities who want to be a part of a program like this and don't know how to do that, don't know how to set it up, don't know what it would look like or be like to be part of that. And then, of course, healthcare providers, um, mental health care providers, social workers who were like, this would really help us to provide better whole person care. But how do we set it up? So those are kind of like our two main audiences. And you can imagine that if we're trying to meet both of them, we are going to have to avoid using like a bunch of like jargony <laughs> language. And we are not being super academic. We're just kind of this is really um, there are peer reviewed articles that you can read about arts benefits for health and about even culture RX, my evaluation of that program in Massachusetts. But this is a really kind of like practical hands on. Let's get on the ground and do this. So we made it accessible for as many people as we could. And so even in the field guide, we say it's for these kind of like main audiences, but it's also for anybody in a community who's like, I want to improve my community's well-being, or I believe that more people should have access to these kinds of resources and assets that are in my community. And maybe arts and prescription is a way to build that access. And I want to be part of that advocacy. And also for patient advocacy groups of all kinds who are just like, hey, I think that in my patient experience of XYZ condition, I would have a better experience if I had access to this kind of programming. So I want to read this guide and figure out what that looks like and then how I can get involved in bringing it to my community. And is it, I have so many questions, uh, <laughs> because this is so exciting to me. Is it, is it where one doctor can bring this on themselves or like kind of I guess it's a two-part question of like what the marketing is going is this like a how, how are you going to market it to people you know you work so hard on something and then you release it and then you want everybody <laughs> to know about it right like because everybody should know about it so how, how do we how do we get it to the rural communities that don't you know have access to things like this and and even this idea that mm. it exists yeah that's a big part of our goal with the field guide in this kind of natu national launch is not just to say here's a guide that tells you how to do this but also kind of just to ignite these conversations around the fact that like this is a thing and it not only is possible it's not some kind of like pie in the sky wouldn't that be nice if but like people are doing it and people are doing it in pretty diverse communities around the country, ranging from, you know, specific populations like a program designed specifically for aging populations or specifically for veterans or specifically for college students. And then also programs that are designed for a breadth of people, maybe everybody who's part of a, a specific um, healthcare system or things like that. So uh, 
there's all kinds of different there's all kinds of different communities doing this and we want more and more people to know like this is possible i'm allowed to want this i'm allowed to demand this i'm allowed to work toward this and there's a lot of traction behind it as far as the evidence base the science base in order to say you know here is why this would be um, tremendously useful to care systems and might even cut costs in the long term as far as how it affects people's health and their impressions of the care that they're getting from various providers and systems so this big reason why I'm here with you is to help ignite more conversations. And the the field guide is free. So our hope is that as people hear about the guide and download the guide for themselves and read it, that they'll be like, this is great. I can send this link to anybody I want. <laughs> so if you know people who are in healthcare, in mental health care, in social care, if you know people who are in the arts and culture, nature, kind of like serving, public serving, public facing work, um, you know, send this around, ignite your own conversations in your community, because when people get together and have, you know, when people get together, great things happen in general. Collaboration is like the source of so much innovation and greatness for communities. But also when you have a kind of resource like this that you can all kind of gather around and bounce ideas off of, it can become a great seed for, for more work in your local community. And I will say, this looks really different place by place. In the US, we don't have a national healthcare system where we can just institute something and then it kind of looks similar everywhere you go. Like I said, the, um, the assets that various communities have are gonna look different from place to place. So the things that you can refer a patient or client to are gonna be different inherently based on what's actually there. Um, and we've seen lots of different models. We've seen situations where like a single provider is like, I like this <laughs> and I have a connection for whatever reason with a cultural organization in my community. And they wind up just creating like just the two of them, they have a partnership. And of course that's a kind of limited version of this because there's one provider doing it and that provider has kind of one option to which they can send a patient, but that is still far more than that provider had before they set this up. And that is still a, a really cool different way that that cultural organization is involved in their community than they were before this existed. And those kinds of like, even just that dyad, that one person with one organization can kind of become a model in that community for other people to be like, oh, well, I could, I could set something like that up as well. And it can grow from there. Well, so arts and health has been around for, you know, ever. Uh, in different forms. Why Why now? Like, why do you think now it's coming up to this where where we have a field guide? And why do you think now is, a, is the time that it's, it's becoming, I don't want to say popular, but like becoming uh, more well-known? I think a lot of it has been like the accumulating evidence of arts impacts on health that's been growing over the last couple decades and really picking up steam the last several years. And I think that people have a kind of intuitive um, recognition that if we have assets in our communities that we know benefit people's health, you start to wonder why those aren't being tapped into by your healthcare systems. And, you know, the way that I described it in the past is like, if there are assets that could benefit health and we're not integrating them into our healthcare systems, our social care systems, that's not a science-based decision. That's not like, well, we're going to exclude those on purpose because they don't actually do anything. That's just a, a decision based on like norms and the status quo and the way things have always been done. But as we learn more and more about how people are affected by all of the social drivers of health, everything that's in our lives, that's you know, our health is primarily determined by things outside of a clinic. It's our environment, right? It's our context. It's the resources that we have access to or not. It's air quality. It's all these kinds of things that we actually individually don't have 
all that much control over. But when we collectively can come together, we can say, hey, I want to have a better life. I want to have better health. I want to have a better quality of life. And here's the things that are going to need to change in order to give me that. So the arts and culture, having access to nature and green space in your community, these are things that benefit people's health. There are things that are not equitably available to everybody, which is um, which is wrong. It's egregious. So again, if we know that there are things that can benefit health, and we do know that more and more, the evidence has been picking up, then it, at some point you start to experience that tension of like, okay, well then why aren't we, what do we do with that information? And why aren't we already integrating that into the ways that we think about health and what health is, what health care is, and where, where we apply it, who gets to have access to it, all of that. Wow. What's, uh, you, I'm sure you can't boil it down to one thing, but like, what is something that you want healthcare professionals to take away from this field guide? Yes, it would be hard to boil that down to <laughs> yeah. one thing. But what I would hope is that they're excited about just having another tool in their toolkits. Like I said at the, at the beginning, this isn't about trying to replace something that you would typically do. And it's not about trying to get you to do more than, you know, just here's another thing to think about and have to do. Like providers are already facing so much strain. We're seeing unprecedented levels of burnout. The great thing about this is not like we want you to learn a whole other thing and tackle a whole other thing that's going to make your job even harder. What we saw from providers is that this was so intuitive for them that they were just like, well, obviously, like once I, <laughs> some people in the arts are kind of like, aren't doctors going to look at this and be like, what, this is, this is weird, or I, I don't get it, or why does this apply to my life? And I always tell people, like, I am sure that there are doctors out there who think that, but I have not met any of them. Every provider that I have talked to has been either kind of like neutral, like, oh, like whatever that exists, I'm fine with that. Or they've been like actively like, obviously I need something like that. You know, like <laughs> yeah. the physician or the pediatrician that I told you about earlier, who's like, I now have something I can give to families that will help them connect and have conversations. I have never had that before. And it is not hard for me to think about how to use that. That just comes up all the time. And now I just have something I can say and do about it. Whereas before I didn't. And we also heard from providers that were saying like, this is, you know, providers saying like, oftentimes we are in a position where we're trying to tell people like to stop doing things they like doing, like drink less caffeine or like eat less fried food or like, you know, or trying to make them do things that they don't want to do. Like, move your body more often or like whatever. And um, this, they said that this felt like just giving their patients joy. Like I am mm. offering my patients something that they already want to do, maybe are actively interested in. And now I have a way to like actively provide that to them or make that accessible to them. And they said, you know, one physician said that it felt like prescribing beauty. And they talked about the reactions of their patients to this, like, how excited people were or just how like thankful or somebody crying because like they got you know tickets to something that they hadn't been able to go do before and that doesn't i'm not trying to paint this as some kind of like panacea but just to say that there's a lot of opportunity here and there's a lot to play with and there's going to be kind of hiccups with it and barriers like i mentioned we saw those in massachusetts or like questions about like oh how do we wrangle this or what if the patient themselves is like, uh, why the heck am I going to go to a theater? You know, like, what if the <laughs> patient themselves is, like, yes. um, is confused by this prescription idea? And so we figure out how to have those conversations and they're different in each community. Like I said, cultures are different. People's interests are really different. But those are all pretty overcomable because when it comes down to it, this is kind of an intuitive situation. We're not saying that everybody needs to go to the ballet or everybody needs to go to a museum. But the idea that human beings 
need and want to be engaged with artistic and creative and cultural and nature things that resonate with them and that have meaning for them, that's pretty intuitive. And to the extent that we can make that access more possible for more people, we are doing good. And I think there's a, a pretty across the board consensus about that growing is, right now. Is Yeah, yes, that's what's exciting uh, in this field is like, you can, I feel like even since I've started in this field, it's been five, six years, it has changed where I can bring it up and people now go, oh yeah, you do that? Like yeah. where when I first started, they're like, what do you do? <laughs> Just total confusion. Cause I didn't even know what arts and health was until I, I found uh, Stanzi at a theater one day. Mm. Um, so I had no idea what it was. And now it's starting to be like where, where people actually know what it is. But let's say like someone wherever gets the field guide and wants support. Is there support in how to figure out what to do with their patients or how to connect with, you know, parks, theater, like, or is there a support system outside that's offered from? Oh, this is a beautiful question. We haven't necessarily talked about that, although there is such a drive for community around this and finding other people who are doing similar work. And through the field guide, you, you can definitely find what other programs exist around this. You know, we have six case studies, for example, of programs that are doing this. So you could look those up and maybe try to reach out to them. And then I personally, in my work outside of, you know, um, I primarily direct research for the International Arts and Mind Lab at Johns Hopkins University. I also have the great privilege of working with organizations and clients all over the country and all over the world to help them kind of navigate new collaborations and new work in the arts and health realm. I'm really happy to do that if people want to reach out. But it's also Super exciting to share with you that the guide itself has, you know, a, an almost absurd number of appendices. <laughs> this like a compendium of things that we were like, let's not fail to give them this. Let's make sure we also give them this. It was just like us dumping everything that we could think of that could be useful to people into this resource at the end of the field guide. So there's all kinds of further reading about arts benefits for health. There's all kinds of further reading about um how to make sure that your programs are inclusive and accessible and anti-racist. There's all kinds of information about uh, potential funding sources for this kind of work. There's templates for setting things up like with patient referrals. So we really did put everything in there that we thought could be helpful. And we hope that that is a kind of seed that helps people be like, oh, okay. And there's even a, um, there's even a section in there about, you know, the, the kind of difficulties of partnership across sectors and that's something that I care a lot about in my own work. I just created a new course to help people make cross-sector partnerships because it's difficult. So we made sure that we included that in the field guide as far as you might run into these issues when you are making a partnership with somebody who's from a completely different background and sector than you are. And here are some ways to potentially navigate that. It's very, it reads really well, very well organized like when you think of something like this, it can maybe feel overwhelming before you get it of like, I have to take on this entire arts and health organ, you know, like, uh, <laughs> but it's so you've done such a great job at like making it readable and, and it's organized and it's well thought out where it just kind of flows and it, it, it it's a really oh. good job. Thank you. That is so good to hear. We really wanted to make this something that if you really wanted to, you could start at the top and just read it from beginning <laughs> to end. But our bigger, we know that people aren't typically going to be able to do that. And we wanted to make it incredibly like lots of signposts throughout of, in the like, huge table of contents. So like whatever it is that you need, you can go find that chapter or read that section. And then we also hope that this is a resource that you keep and come back to. So it's not just like, 
I read this and now I know about it and now I go do something with it. It's like, no, keep this by your side and come back to the various sections that you might need as you get to various stages on your journey toward this arts and prescription program that you're developing. Yeah, you don't have to take it all and do it all tomorrow. Like you can, you can take. Yes, please don't pieces. do that. I, would, yeah. I don't recommend it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, take what you need. Take what you, you know, what you can actually uh, do. Um, what did you learn while doing all of this research and putting this together? Um, well, from the research, I will say like the evaluation of Culture RX and the ongoing research into um arts and prescription, or sometimes it's called social prescribing, the kind of larger version of clinicians being able to refer people to things in their community, whether it's arts, culture, or nature, or whether it's housing assistance, food bank support groups. Um, the research around those things, what's been, what I have learned that I wasn't necessarily expecting was that really positive, intuitive response from providers who, uh, I think sometimes in the conversation of arts and health, we we start to treat these things like they're two different things. For myself, I'm both an artist and a health scientist. So it feels intuitive to me that these, these are not separate things at all. I don't, you know, why would they be? But sometimes in our conversations, we start to treat like healthcare providers are something separate from artists. And the truth is a lot of them make art, a lot of them are artists. Um, so that becomes a kind of absurd differentiation at some point. And there's a lot of intuitive embracing of this, this practice. And it's not what I've seen in the work is that it's not so much a question of like, there's not enough evidence for this and I don't want to do it. It's more like, if you give me a way to do it, like if there's an infrastructure for doing this, I'll just go ahead and do this. Just like we've seen for doctors who are like, if I have an infrastructure or like a system that I can easily use to, for example, refer a patient to housing assistance, I'll refer them to housing assistance. It's not like I need somebody to prove to me why my patient who doesn't have housing needs housing assistance. Like, of course they do. And if I have an easy way to do that, I'll do it. It's not so much the will, it's the system that has to be in place to make yeah. it work. And then in the development of the field guide, what I learned was, um, first of all, how amazing my collaborators are. There's, there's a huge list of co-authors on it and wonderful people who are doing this work, such a privilege to work with them. And then the many, many components that go into this, it took us such a long time to you know, develop what was gonna go into the field guide and organize it and arrange it. But as you said, like once it is out, there's a sense in which it starts to kind of make more concrete sense. And that was wonderful for us as a team developing this to see like, oh, wow, yeah, here are all the components of things that we've been looking at. And now they're there. We've brought them together. And I think this will give us a, um, a kind of great jumping off point for a lot more work and practice in the future. So where do people get it? It is out now. Where can you get it? It is out now. And I am sure that Rich will put a link to it in the notes yes. with this. I will also have it on my site. You can find it at tashagolden.com slash field guide. And that will, it lives with the University of Florida Center for Arts and Medicine. So the link on my site will take you right there to download it again for free. And there's also lots of little blurbs about it that you can get on the UF website so that you can easily share this information with anybody else. Point them there if you're trying to ignite a conversation and we will help you get started. Well, congratulations. Thank and you. also thank you. Thank you for doing this work and uh, for putting this together because it's a huge, huge milestone in this field. So I, I can't thank you enough. 
Oh, thank you. And thank you all for the work that you do and for the fabulous listeners who are part of this community who are thinking every day about how the arts impacts health. And I hope that this is a wonderful resource and tool and jumping off point for you all. And I would love to hear if anybody wants to reach out and tell me what your experience of the guide is or how you're using it. I would certainly love to hear. Maybe we, our next podcast can be us with a bunch of people who are now using it and a discussion about it. I would love it. Right. <laughs> I would love it. Thank you, Tasha. Thank you so much, Rich. Take care. All right. That's our show. Thank you for watching or listening. Make sure you subscribe wherever you're doing those things and follow us at Hearts Need Art at all the different platforms. We've got, if you're in the San Antonio area, we've got a few great uh, opportunities to come hang out with us at the Charity Bar. We are the Charity Bar's nonprofit of the month for September. And uh, you can come hang out with us on the 9th, on the 15th, and on the 20th, where we're doing a paint night with uh, Cowgirl Grit Art. So it's going to be really fun. All the links are down there. Go to heartsneedart.org to learn more and to sign up and reserve your canvas for the 20th. So uh, if you're in San Antonio, come to the Charity Bar all month long. Have a good day, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to Arts for the Health of It. This episode is produced by Hearts Need Art, creative support for patients and caregivers. You can support the show and help others learn about the healing power of the arts by visiting heartsneedart.org. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Hearts Need Art, their staff, board members, or other affiliates. All content is created for informational purposes only. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice or to diagnose and treat any health condition. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking because of something 